Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod, the podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... Well, my mohawk has come back, uh, much to Noah Rubin's chagrin. Um, so that's that's a very exciting development for for everybody involved with the behind the racket pod. Noah, um, how do you feel about it? Look at it. I just want Chuck Liddell to come into your wow. place and knock you out. Is Chuck Liddell still alive? Alive? No, I I, I knew you were gonna ask that, and I don't have the answer actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the answer. It's interesting you you bring up uh, Ultimate Fighting and and the UFC because for some reason like Facebook is now like sending me like all I get on my Facebook videos you know like mm-hmm. the the stuff you're looking at at the end of the night it's like yeah. s- pets are stupid and Ultimate Fighting best knockouts of 2019. Like that's because you live in Tulsa, though. That's that's what I get nowadays. It's very odd. There's a there's a chance that they're trying to invite you to the underground fighting league in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It, it's got to be just up the street. <laughs> I know exactly where it would be. I know. I've seen <laughs> fights, and that would make sense. Um, uh. You, um, I want to. We're going to get to our guest here in just a moment. Emilio Gomez standing by to join us. I want to uh, just quickly mention. The remarkable behind the racket you did with Fakuno Menya, uh, mm-hmm. just an incredible story. If, if people haven't seen it over the last week, it is truly remarkable to kind of get that behind the scenes of, of what players are actually dealing with being human while also continuing their careers. It was, uh, you know, a lot's going on for me. And, you know, I always look for moments to put things in perspective and then go back to kind of the foundation of, of why I started everything. Um, and that did it for me. So, I mean, just to give you a little background, not to take too much time, but it was just being at this moment, seeing this match and the, the twists and turns of some horrendous tennis to incredible tennis to, you know, watching Ty and Fukunda playing um, and, and Ty winning the first set and going, I'm sorry, sorry, Ty losing the first set, then going up 6 0 and I'm just in my head thinking about all the messages that Mayna is receiving right now from, you know, gamblers and hate mail. And then the match gets back to five all and then, and then Facundo wins it. And I'm just all these thoughts are rushing to my head. And then Facundo's basically screaming at the top of his lungs out of emotion and, and hysterical crying and Ty obviously distraught because of what just took place in his match. And then hearing this and all of this. And I was like, Okay, 
being a New Yorker, I was like, this is strange, like almost making fun to it. And then I took it back and I was like, okay, what's happening right now? Like, let's let's find out what's actually taking place. Um, And I just, I had to go up to him after and say, Hey, everything. Okay. Um, And then got on the phone with him. I was in the airport, got on the phone with him and just heard the whole story and to hear what he's been through and the emotions and, you know, everybody that worked with his father and what they went through, you know, that, that I'm just happy to, to get his story out there. So people, and he was so appreciative that he could, you know, share his story and everything he's went through and, and people just have to be a little more aware that there's more than the surface level going on. More on that when we talk to our guest here, Emilio Gomez, here in just one second. Also want to make sure we thank our latest Patreon supporter, Matthew Selwood. Thank you so much for your support. Remember, you can go to patreon.com slash behind the racket pod to support the podcast. And now our talk with former USC star, Tallahassee 2019 Challenger Champion and French Open Qualifier, Emilio Gomez. Those who don't know, Emilio Gomez, 28 years of age, out of Ecuador. And Emilio, this has been an incredible couple of weeks for you, qualifying for the French Open for the first time. Um, beating Thiago Zaibov-Vild in the first round of qualifying. He was the top seed. Uh, I know it's tough. You lost a a really difficult five-setter to Sonego, you know, a couple days ago. How are you processing this whole thing now that you've gone to Barcelona, kind of stepped away from Paris? How are you processing all right now? I think it was my third try here at the French. And it's the first time, actually, uh, that they mentioned my dad a lot Mm. and especially after that first round you know i came with you know it was my second tournament i didn't play good the first week in aix-en-provence and i had really not much to to show you know i I thought it was going to be tough you know uh, playing as a clay court specialist especially like him coming out of uh, winning chile uh, atp 250 then he made finals in aix-en-provence so I, I took my chances and I played like a unreal match. I think one of those matches where you feel like you are capable of like getting to quality. Mm. It was just, you know, a mix of emotions. They start talking about my dad right after that first round because, you know, beating the number one seed kind of like put a lot of expectations on, on me. And, you know, I should have lost i think that second match and also my third match <laughs> but I, I i i i hang in there you know mentally i i think uh that was a key uh that was the key to you know overcome those tough moments especially that last day because i i woke up and everything was okay i was warming up and i had a in the middle of the, my warm-up, I was warming up with uh, Dustin Brown, and I told my coach, I, mm, I don't know, my, my back is not feeling good. I had some restriction to move to my forehand, and especially on my serve, too. But, you know, I wanted it so bad, like mm. so, so bad, that I remember we had two delays, one in the 4 two. 
uh, of that. And then I was like all over the place. I felt like there was no chance I could like turn this match around. And all of a sudden, I don't know, I just forgot a little bit. All the adrenaline came in. And <laughs> I don't know. It was, I, I think it was just a miracle. I had two match points, like 5 4, 15, 40. Uh, I, I really don't know. And a mix of emotions came through, you know, all my family right away started like texting and especially my dad my dad was so happy like you i mean it was so big like for him i believe it it was more important for him than winning the french at some point <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was it was awesome you know like for for me it was a, a like a prize you know uh, for being so persistent for, for this moment. I know it's not like a big deal to get through college for many of the players, but for me, it was. I, I also like cried during, like on my way back to the length. And it was the last match on, it was super late like, at night. I was by myself in the locker room, like crying like a baby. It was, it was like something I never expect uh, at this point. Uh, and, you know, I called my my mom in that moment. She was like, I called her and she was like already crying. Mm. She couldn't even talk. And I also called that. I called my mom and right away I called Roberto's brother, the guy that was with me in Tallahassee, Mm -hmm. in which uh, I worked with him during all my quarantine and he couldn't come here because of the of the visa. So I had I came here with uh, the Davis Cup captain that. He has a Spanish passport, so it was easier for us to to be together. And, you know, it was just a mix of everything. A lot of people started texting like never before. And I didn't know that many people followed me. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it was just so, like, nice to feel, you know, that, that like, support. And I think I brought that to my first round matching, which, like you said, it was tough. I actually got to watch you practice. I was sadly practicing with Peter, <laughs> Peter Polanski <laughs> the, the day before uh, qualifying and kind of in between um, games, I was looking, I was like, those guys are grinding. And I, and I called it. I told Polanski, I was like, Gomez is going to make, I, I actually, I said, Gomez is going to win his first round. I knew, <laughs> I knew it was happening. I called it. You could ask him, but I, I think we have to go, and you just said it yourself, you said for a lot of players, it's not a big deal to qualify. Yeah. But we talk about it all the time and this idea of, of building relevance in the sport and feeling like nobody cares about you. That emotion that, that comes with grinding your whole life, getting to this point, and then making yourself what people like to call relevant, and I hate that term, it is a big deal. But like, kind of take us through the emotions of qualifying after you know not qualifying so often i know for me it was incredible but truly what what is it like to to make it into the main draw what are those feelings yeah i remember actually i was practicing with olivo that day yes. the one, and it, i mean it was just a classic south american grind like, <laughs> yeah polanski and i are hitting the ball 120 <laughs> miles per hour and these guys are just roping each other across the court we're like ah okay <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah but yeah no i mean the thing is that for me you know having like someone like my dad like you know it was the french open my first lamp to qualify i was in the last round in the u.s open uh back in 2014 and i rolled my ankle and i said then well 
it wasn't meant to be and it had to make it had to be this one for sure mm. it had to be like at some point how i won the second match i said to myself this has this has to be the one just for a matter like of history i think because for 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 Ecuador, it's been 10 years without one guy in the main draw of a slam i mean that's a lot of time yeah and and also uh you know, I went through the first round. You know, you get the first, the number one seed. It's you don't. I don't know. I didn't know what to to expect about from me. And once I got that match in, it's like I went back to where I left it back in March mm. after the Davis Cup. All my confidence came back right away, and I like mentally I thought, okay, who's the next? Oransky, okay, I know I can beat him. And then Popko, oh, tough match. Tough, tough match with Popko because you know he makes a hundred thousand balls. Haitian's and... favorite player of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, uh, for how how like I was playing, I felt like okay, this is my chance. I have to go for it. And uh, everything was starting to like. I was putting pieces together in between the match because it was like, you know, I wasn't feeling good, but I knew it was like a little switch I had to turn on. And mm. it was when I broke in the second and then I knew, okay, I can win like this. Like I had, I had to go, I, had, I played bigger with my forehand as the matches progressed and just start running, you know, running, running and just making, making Popko go for a little bit more every time he, he had a chance and he was kind of like sometimes missing and in the big moments he missed. And I think uh, the emotions towards the end of the match were, I, I served for it at 6, 5, 30 love. And I, mm. I, I completely like, I said, okay, this it's done. I saw popcorn. He was like done. And he like kind of like slapped a couple balls and he came back on the game and he, I made one mistake in that game and he, came back and then he was up one zero in the break and ended up winning seven one and i was like in disbelief it would start raining at five one in the break. and popko <laughs> wanted to and uh -huh. popko wanted and popko wanted to stop and i said no 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 i was serving five one let's go let's go <laughs> serve grind the point the point down and then popko was done he he was like pouring at that time and popko like hit a serve anywhere and then second serve anywhere and i was like okay just say game, said match, and then <laughs> I'll be happy. And I then, yeah, I, I, I walked off the court right away. I didn't care about the rain. I just went for, I hugged my uh, Davis Cup captain, and then I hugged my ex-fitness coach. I was there. He was actually working now with Murusa, so he had the little time to go and watch me play. That was, that was pretty awesome because that was the guy that, uh, I think turned things around for me uh, when I had my tough moment in between 2017 and 2018. So it was pretty special to have him there. And also Peter Smith was there for my first and second set. So uh, it was meant to be. I think all the people I loved the most were in the same uh, were in the same spot at, uh, at some point of my match. So it was pretty awesome. So from my broadcasting. Um, the, the way I, my philosophy, I guess, Emilio, I, I, this is the same for you that it is, um, for Sebastian Corda. Um, I tr have tried in my broadcasting, especially at the challenger level to 
let you guys be your own man. I don't think maybe once in all the matches I've done of yours, I think maybe once I've I've mentioned your father. Pretty much the same for Sebastian. Um, I, I, I try to just let you guys have your own story, your own path. You mentioned, uh, of course, obviously with with your dad and how he said it, it, it was almost more special for you to qualify than him having won it. I, I'm, yeah. I'm just interested in how, I know it's been a pressure throughout your life that you've dealt with. Um, and, and I'm and I'm wondering how you now appreciate it after this last week. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate it even more. Uh, actually, after we won the Davis Cup in March against Japan, I think that's when you start to know where those guys, my dad, or you know, all the Ecuadorians that were in the world group of Davis Cup. Uh, you start appreciating those things more. I mean, uh, everyone, I mean, it's impossible to compare my career with my dad's. I mean, it's impossible. It's just, it's just not, it's just not like healthy for, for either like him or me. Mm. Uh, and now that I qualified, I had an interview when I won my first round match. And I said that I'm embracing the moment and the pressure of him being my dad and make it a positive thing. I'm a motivation. I know it's how tough it is to like win the French Open. Mm -hmm. I know how tough it to get through a couple rounds. I know how tough it's like to win win the first round of qualifying. I know that. I know how tough that is. So like, I went step by step, day by day, and uh, I started like getting that uh, that attention in which my dad started to like go uh, and be on my interviews somehow like, you know, say, or like the questions were like, oh, do you feel a pressure? You know, the typical questions you yeah. get during, during this, this, uh, this French Open. But I, am, I embraced it and I actually enjoy it at some point, you know, and I, I kind of want to like next year be the same way. And if it's going to be more, even more, I mean, hopefully next year I'm, I'm in the main draw, but I mean, I don't need to play qualities. Hopefully if not, you know, it's, it's, we know the path. I mean, I already know the path. I've already done it and, and it's a new experience. So I think the best thing to do now is embrace it. Use it as a motive, as a motivation. Of course, it's not going to travel with me. No chance, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, it's, uh, it's, it's been like super nice to like talk to him right after, like after my ma after, Everything was done uh, after I lost to Sonego. We, uh, I think he called me the next day. It was pretty. We finished pretty late, so he called me the next day. And we've been more. It it, it brought us even closer as a son, as a dad. I think uh, so. That's good. I think in terms of uh, of us, I think that's gonna be pretty good when we see each other next time. And Mike, I, I appreciate you not comparing me to my father and yeah. bringing that <laughs> You know, he was, you know, at Albany, you know, he was uh, rocking some balls. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think with the relationship you guys have, and nobody really knows what it is besides, obviously, your family and close friends. But I think people assume that, you know, maybe there's a lot of pressure on you. Maybe, you know, the situations you've dealt with your whole life, you know, maybe hindered your tennis in a way. Can you kind of take us through the relationship between you and your father? And, and it's so nice to hear that, you know, him calling you and just over the moon about your accomplishments, 
you know, we need more of those stories. You know, the, the stories of regardless of what the parent has accomplished, they're happy for their son or daughter and they want them to succeed. And, you know, kind of yeah. take us through what that's been like uh, for your life. Yeah, I mean, when I was super young, like starting to play, I think the toughest part was like in between when I was 10 and I was 18, I guess, like before going to college, I would say all that path was the toughest part. Because when you're young, you don't you don't know what 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 it means, you know, like anything he did. Like I was 10 years old and I'll, I'll see all the cameras like, I will go to a national tournament and all the cameras will go behind him. And I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, it's like, what's going on? Like, who is he? I mean, you don't realize those things until later. So of course they say, oh, like, I mean, uh, how can you like a 12 year old say like, oh, what do you, do you feel pressure about your dad? You don't even know what pressure is <laughs> basically at that time. I mean, you don't know nothing. Uh, and I think that kind of like, like struck me. I, I didn't know how to react. I, I'll go through like I'll my dad will go to my matches and I'll basically like be up three zero. Then suddenly all of a sudden like I'm three all and I will just like go away and lose like three and zero. And it was because he was there mm. for some reason. When he was there and I was not like I will not play a perfect match. I'll lose. So somehow I'll lose because. It was just, I don't know, it was just something I felt. And then, uh, you know, you got more and more as I grew up and you started, he will start talking to me like, oh, you want to be in the French Open or you want to be a Davis Cup player, you want to be this and that. And I said, yes, I guess. And they will start comparing me even more when I won my first, I, I think I'll say this, like when I won my first future, I was 17 mm -hmm. and that was probably the worst tournament. I I mean, I didn't want to, I really, if, if you tell me right now, you're going to win a 17, please. No, I don't want that. For some reason that blind me, I'm blind uh, my dad as well, because I think it was not the path. My path was was college. I didn't, you know, at that time I didn't have a team. My dad wanted me to go with him, like to travel with him. Mm. So for me, it didn't work. It doesn't work. It, it had has never worked for us to travel like together. And when we're at home, it's okay. Everything is fine when we're at home. I mean, we are. It's. I mean, it's perfect. I mean, it's. It's just when we are on court together and. Mm. I have to compete. That's the main issue. So basically, uh, that's why I don't travel with him. I, we've tried it, and it just hasn't worked. I and he knows it. He had to like. It took him like a lot of time to you know. Say okay, I know it's, it's your it's your it's your career. You do whatever you want, and that's when things started to go better. Uh, so. It's tough. I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy. I, I bet Sebi might have some like similar issues with his dad. I don't think as bad because I've seen Sebi traveling with his dad a lot. Yeah. But maybe he gives he gives him space as well. But now, like, I, I'm not willing to like try it again because 
for 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 how good I I am doing, and you know, I don't know. I I really don't want to take that risk of like having an issue like like as as a son, not as a tennis player. I don't care as a tennis player. I care as a son. So uh, I really wished it was the other way around. But we learned how to accept it as a as a as a father and son, as a coach, as a, as a player. And when we when I'm at home, he's there. I mean, he's there, but we don't talk much about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about calendars here and there, some things. But it's when when I need it, not when he wants to. You know, now it's more he listens to me more. Before it was like me listening to him. So. Uh, but now I, I think this this is gonna get better for us as if my career goes better and better, it's gonna be better for us. We want as a as a family too. That kind of sounds like my relationship with Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. He's, he's giving me my space recently. Stop it. So, uh, Emilio, one of one of my prized possessions um, o- that I've acquired over the last couple of years is something you gave me. Um, it is a a Davis Cup jersey um, from Ecuador, yeah. and I it's I I I I let you know that I wear it during my poker sessions. It it brings me some <laughs> some good luck, and I'm I'm really appreciative of that. Um, I wanted to talk about Ecuador in in two fashions, if you could. Um, number one. Um, just what it's been like there um, through the quarantine. We, we know it's been very difficult in certain areas in South America. Um, what it's been like for you in the quarantine in Ecuador, how you trained. Um, and, and then secondly, um, in, in terms of the opportunities um, right now for players there post-quarantine, uh, we're obviously struggling in North America. We're starting to get some tournaments on the calendar. What are you hearing about um, not just the ATP level, but also ITF challenger levels um, over the next couple months in South America? So those, those two paths for us here. Yeah, well, in, in the quarantine I got in like last, one of the last days. I was in Japan, flew to Indian Wells. Uh, in Indian Wells, as soon as Indian Wells got canceled, I went to Miami, stayed there. I was, my mom flew to Wells as well from Ecuador, and the that was in the spring break. I mean, what a better tournament to go, but <laughs> everything turned to be like a nightmare at some point. Yeah. Uh, so we went to Miami. Uh, right away, uh, because my, my sister is living in national time. So uh, we went back. I trained a couple of days in Miami, see what, how it's going to be. I mean, I thought it was going to be only for a couple of weeks, this thing, like Corona thing. And all of a sudden, like, countries started to close, close, close. And then they said, oh, Ecuador is going to close, I don't know, Monday. And I got there on Saturday. And then I stayed there for, I, I took a week off of nothing. Basically, the first week it was complete off, and then they shut down the whole country. I mean, no one could go go out on the on the streets. There was uh, military outside the outside the 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 streets, and only if you were going to the store or something like the pharmacy. It was like that for like three months, I'll say, or two and a half months. It was bad. It was pretty, pretty bad the first couple of months. A lot of deaths were there. I don't know if it was up for Corona or something else. But 
it was bad. And in talking about myself, I actually started working out, started running, started uh, lifting a little bit, but doing some yoga in the mornings, not much. I was cooking. I mean, I, I came back to Ecuador, but my mom stayed with my two sisters in Jacksonville. So I was with my dad, my brother, and then uh, another guy that uh, a guy that works in the in in my house like already for like twenty something years. So we were there, and I was cooking with my brother, cooking for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was different. It was different because I I didn't uh, I haven't been home for that long. Like I'll say, like I've been home like like for three weeks it was the most probably and it was doing my vacations last year and then nothing not not more than that and now it turned okay this is gonna i mean it has to start at some point like the tournaments and all that and then all of a sudden everything started going crazy bad and we started thinking, hearing things about europe hearing about the states and it just got so bad like i we started to think that it was gonna take more than a couple months and but i was after the first week, I start running three times a three times a week, and then lifting pretty much uh, three times a week as well. And then I was doing yoga every morning, so I'm changing my routines a little bit. Mm. I was I am not lazy at all. I like I like to be like work. I like to be working out all my all the time. And I think the after the first and a half months, so after six weeks, we started training. In my, we're in the complex we live. We have the permission with Roberto to practice there, and we practiced there for for three weeks. Then Roberto had surgery, so that was bad. That was bad for me. But then a guy, a junior guy, came in and started hitting with me. We started practicing once a day, but for two hours, two and a half hours, and changing the routines again a little bit. Still, I was doing yoga, I was playing tennis, and then in the afternoon, I'll do fitness. And I stayed like that for for two months. And then when the tournament started going again, I started working the same way, but at the club. They opened the club, I think, in uh, June. And then it was more normal, but not many people. It was like me and I'll say like four or five guys practicing there, but not that many. I kept my routine. I bought a couple of weights and things for my house. So I have like, you know, to lift weights, all the basic things. And and I just, I mean, I literally took Sundays off. Mm. Sundays was complete off. Then during, I'll say after, I'll say from May until August, no days off, only Sundays. And it worked pretty well. I mean, after I play the Sonego match, I say, okay, I can still run for more than four hours. I can keep going <laughs> after this. So I was like, at least something worked <laughs> during the quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> and, my, and I'll see, like, I'll run outside my house, like, uh, and my dad will come out and see if I was running all the time. I was like, <laughs> why, why do you even come out? <laughs> uh, he was, like, controlling a little bit, but no. No, 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 but... But it was it was like it was just like that, uh, and I enjoy it at the beginning, and then it started to get really tough mentally to keep going. But yeah. I stay, I, I I hang in there. I had a couple of days, bad days, where I just wanted to, I can't do this anymore. And but I 
I was with Roberto's brother, so he motivated me a lot. So that that was a great, great like key to be to be that persistent during during those tough times. So, so what are you hearing about um, the tournaments in the future here in South America, if if anything, for the rest of the year? Yeah, yeah. I've, I actually they are one. It's confirmed back home, and my dad actually wants to do the second one right away because things are better now. In, okay. In my city, where we are gonna play, things are okay. I mean, it's been okay for already. I mean, before me coming here, it was already okay. I was going not, I, w- I was really like cautious because I was coming to Europe and I didn't have, I didn't want to like have contact with many people. Sure. So I was staying in my house, eating my at my house and especially the last couple of weeks. We had a tournament uh, two weeks before coming here in at the beach with the juniors and all the Davis Cup players. So okay. that was good. And... We are now, I think my dad is making that tournament November 9th. I think it's in the calendar now. I think the next week, it's uh, they're going to uh, refresh the calendar next week. And I think the number two is going to come out right away. So hopefully that's there too for, you know, people and guys that want more opportunities to, you know, come out and play. I mean, especially they're going to have a couple tournaments in uh, Europe still during that time. Hopefully they have Kerry in North Carolina and they have a couple more in the States. Uh, it will be good for, for everyone. I mean, everyone is, I mean, it's lacking out of opportunities. So uh, hopefully we can, we can, I mean, for, for us to make the tournament, it's good for guys in South America, whoever is coming. But I mean, we need, we need everyone to play. I mean, I, I felt it was unfair to start the tour and, not having at least 400 players playing challengers, mm. I think it was unfair. Even though I'm in the cut for all the challengers, I thought it was unfair. My dad was asking me, "Do you think it's unfair?" I said, "Yes. I think we should not start. I think this is not this is not good." And I had my opinion. He had his. Uh, yeah, but you have the ranking. Yeah, I know I have the ranking, but <laughs> it's not it's it's not about it's not about me. It's always been. I mean, like we said, like it's always been for the bigger guys, for the guys up there. And we need a change, and that's what I wish. Uh, I wish that we can have a lot more opportunities, not only for for the guys that are top one fifty. I, I think the guys four hundred are awesome players too. I mean, and they deserve to to have opportunities as well. Yeah, you you certainly have uh, taken advantage of those opportunities. I I didn't realize this, Emilio. You're, do you know what your record is in in finals of futures and challengers? Do you know off the top of your head what your record is? Uh, I know I've only lost two. I got three. One, oh, three. Yeah, Brand. Yeah, I forgot about the one with Brandon. So it was Brandon, Jose Hernandez in Guayaquil, and Bublik in Monterrey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's and I, you close pretty damn well. Uh, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah yeah no i i think i think uh well i i at that at that point i don't know it's not much to say mikey you just have to be there yeah you just have to be there mike you have to be there (laughs) you know it's it's a good percentage that's yeah that's good i'm zero and seven in features finals so i'll just kind (laughs) of go screw myself (laughs) yeah but what about in challenger finals uh i don't know four or five 
You have won all of them? No, I lost. I gave Tiafo his top 100 entry in Stockton. I know that for sure. I might have lost two. Yeah, I don't know. Futures, though. I still don't have a futures title. And that futures. I, I'm you going back. You haven't won a future yet. I'm going back. <laughs> just to win one. Just, I just, it's not going to happen. Just one. No, but it wasn't. It wasn't even that long ago. The last one I played was like two years ago or something like that. Just to get, it was right before Tallahassee, right before yeah. I won Tallahassee. To Marcelo oh, Barrios Vera. Yeah, Barrios Vera. Oh, wow. I was chipping me. <laughs> Oh God. Well, uh, so so I assume, unfortunately, Emilio, you're gonna you're gonna play those challengers down down at home uh, instead of coming up to to hang out with me, which I am taking I as a. I don't know. Oh. I told my dad. I told my dad. <laughs> I don't know yet. You. I know. I got through. I knew. I told him. I know. I got through the French Open qualifiers, uh, uh, but I have lost six or seven first round in the row in that tournament. <laughs> wow. And. And only one, it's been two sets. It was Carvalho's Vienna, and that was the, the probably the the first first run I did there. And it was like seven six seven five. Like you know, Carvalho's Vienna, he makes yeah. it. Like, right. It was like a two hour and a half, six seven Oof. five seven six. It was tough. Well, and so maybe it will switch. Since, since then, since then, I've lost six more or seven more. First rounds and all of them were three sets. Okay, so, so we'll see you in Kerry. We'll I'm see you in Kerry. I'm still thinking about it. I already told my dad if I'm gonna play there, I need to switch that center court. I'm not playing there anymore. <laughs> and I'll be going. And I'll be going to South America because I, I can't be seeing Mike on the last two tournaments. Oh God, uh, Emilio! Um, congratulations. I, I know I speak for Noah as well when we, we both say we're incredibly happy for you. Um, this this path to get to this moment. Um, you know, we've been lucky enough to see it through some of the ups and downs and, and to have that moment, I, I know I was incredibly happy for you. Um, and, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in, in Europe. You're in Barcelona right now. And, and hopefully we get to see you again very, very soon. Okay. My friend. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, and thanks for how I forgot, like thanking you guys for, for having me in the, your podcast is actually awesome. I've seen, I've seen you guys, uh, I've seen your guys work and it's, it's awesome. You know, sometimes, you need something different, you know, and, and oh, we different. Uh, and, <laughs> and to hear and and to hear something, you know, uh, to hear from from you guys. I know Noah's having his. I I saw Facundo Menas uh, behind the racket thing, and it was awesome. I mean, those kind of stories. Uh, I think pretty personal, and actually, like looking at them, it makes you makes you realize how important life is and it's not all about tennis i mean like i i saw i think you posted something i think no on twitter or instagram about you, you not knowing what was going through mena's mind in, that, in the match against Ty. i mean he was screaming after the match and i was like i have to figure out this is something's up and i saw ty obviously yeah. i'm close with ty and i was like i just have to know what's happening here and, and to actually yeah. get the full story nobody mm. knows and you know i'm sure mena got hate mail but we got to switch that up a little bit, change, change the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I knew that and that was actually pretty tough for, for everyone to hear, but you never know when you see someone on court, you never know what that guy is going through, even though, you know, he looks happy or he looks competitive or whatever. You never know what that guy is going through. So 
it's awesome to see uh, those kind of stories. And for you, like, to be the one that getting all these stories is actually pretty awesome. I, I think I do not follow the count. I go through it. I think pretty Ooh. much a lot. Come on. Come on, hit that follow yeah. button. No. <laughs> hit, hit that follow button. <laughs> it's uh, not that tough. <laughs> but Emilio, thank you so much. Oh no, but thank you. No, it's awesome. Awesome, Noah. Are you at home now? Yeah, yeah, we're at home. We're just, you know, trying to get some work done here before I sadly have to see Mike's face. And uh, is that another haircut that he has? Which yeah, is I got embarrassing. The, the mohawk came back <laughs> a little bit. I coming can. back, I coming back. Oh my I, God. I try no, to love you. you. You give me all the reasons not to love you, and I still. My daughter my... likes the mohawk. She oh every time God. she draws me now, there's a like this big stick coming out of my head. So I'll see you soon. <laughs> yeah. Well, but thanks, guys. Thank you very much. And anytime you guys want to talk, um, anytime. All right. Thanks, Emilio. thanks, Emilio. Take care. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thanks. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33, at MikeCTennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.